Welcome back to the Worldview Minute. Here we are again diving into the Christian view of human sexuality and specifically the one flesh union, male and female coming together. And today we want to look at four specific purposes that God gives for human sexual activity. Like sexuality is not meaningless. It's not without purpose. It's not without design. We see God's design in it. And God reveals to us what he is seeking to achieve through these things. And you can understand with the modern perversions of sex, turning it into self-expression or self-gratification, that then it becomes, well, self-serving and it becomes even dirty and, and undesirable and lots of these different things of the ways that man has perverted something that God made to be good and beautiful. And so today I want to unpack four specific purposes of the sexual act of a man and a woman uh, coming together as scripture defines it. We're actually going to start though in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4, because I want us to see what scriptures, even the New Testament, say to us about human sexuality. The word of the Lord reads, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits in the teachings of demons. Right? So, there's a bad false teaching coming here. Men are devoting themselves to the teaching of demons. What would you expect that to be? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So Paul's talking about a, a false teaching that is especially destructive, especially destructive, and that is one that requires abstinence of food and marriage, that is, sex. And now this teaching is not what you would expect him to say as demonic. Demonic, you would expect him to say, is hedonism, and it is. But there's a holy appearing false teaching that says, we are holier than that. We have passed beyond that. And what we're actually doing when we say things like, well, sex isn't good, or it's below us, or, or it should be avoided, it's only when you have to, uh, kind of thing, or that's somehow lower, which we get strains of that in the Catholic Church and Catholic doctrine. What you're actually saying is that something God has created as good and to be enjoyed is actually bad. You're looking God in the face and calling him a liar. This is demonic. It is wrong. And so the Christian view of sexuality is not pure abstinence forever. It is not looking at this as something wrong or to be limited in the sense as to not be enjoyed. No, we look at it as a good that God has given us to be expressed and enjoyed to the fullest extent possible. And the best way to do that is within the designer's standards and purposes. So these are, are the four purposes that the Bible lays out for us uh, for sex. First, procreation. A sexual intercourse between a man and a woman is designed with the potential for new life. The charge God gave to Adam and Eve was to fill the earth, to multiply. And in order to do that, sex was required. Male and female was required. Since the sexual revolution, we've tried to divorce procreation from the physical act of sex. And in doing that, we almost feel entitled to be able to have sex without getting pregnant or without the woman getting pregnant. And this is contrary to God's design. All right. So God has designed 
the union of a man and a woman coming together to be full with the potential to create new life, a new eternal soul. Like one of the greatest blessings in life is to have children. It is to have children. They are a blessing and not a curse. Now, this does not mean, like some people in the Catholic spheres go, this does not mean that every instance of a man and a woman coming together has to have the possibility of having children. And that would mean that sex after menopause would be uh, not, not allowed. But it should be viewed that every union, lifelong sexual union of a husband and a wife, should have children in procreation as one of its stated goals. But in a different way, to have an intentionally fruitless marriage is sinful. It's against God's design. Now, of course, some people are prevented from having kids because of medical conditions and other results of the fall. That's not their fault, but it's a result of sin's presence in the world. But one of the main purposes of sex is procreation, to have children. That is not a defect. It is a feature of human sexuality. Second, human sexuality is meant to bring the blessing of relational intimacy. There is literally no way for you to be closer to a person than to have sexual intercourse with that person. The creation of Eve leads the man and the woman to becoming, as we read, one flesh. I believe this is one of the reasons why men desire women, is that there's this almost like magnetic attraction between the two, because the two are supposed to be one. They're supposed to come back together. She completes him in God's good design. Sex is the most intimate thing two individuals can do with one another. It is the pinnacle of romantic love as God has designed it. And so the husband and wife are brought together in relational intimacy. Now, relational intimacy also must precede, or is designed to precede this act as well. But literally, the two become one flesh. There is a relational unity, a oneness through the sexual union. This is a good thing. It is a part of God's design. Third, uh, God has also designed sex to be enjoyable. Pleasure is one of the goals of of sex as God has created it. God could have made sex boring. He could have made it uh, painful. He could have made it uh, not enjoyable, but he actually made it enjoyable. In fact, the Bible in several places instructs us to enjoy having sex with our spouse. Uh, The whole book of Song of Solomon is a is a book of poetry about the wonders and the glory of the union of a man and a woman in marriage sexually. Then we also have the the many warnings in the book of Proverbs against going after the adulterous woman and how she promises uh, her lips are as sweet as honey as they were, but they actually lead to death in bitterness. But that doesn't mean put off all sex, but it rather means to enjoy it in its proper context. Solomon writes to his son in Proverbs chapter 5, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer in a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. People think the Bible's boring. The Bible's uh, very much not boring. Here we are instructed by God through Solomon to take pleasure, to be satisfied and intoxicated always in your spouse sexually. This is a part of God's good design. This is one of his purposes of sex. And now in this, you have both the giving and the receiving of pleasure. Like the man is meant to give to his wife and the woman is meant to give to her husband and they're looking out and uh, enjoying one another. It is not a self-serving act, but it is a, a giving act to one another. And fourth and finally, all of this points to a Christ in the church. There's This world is dripping with meaning. It is 
always pointing to the glory of God. We live, as Calvin said, in the theater of God's glory. And this includes the one flesh union between a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5, uh, 32 through 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his wife and hold, or his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. One of the purposes of sex and why it is so important to get right, one, and so important for the church to speak clearly on this, is it points to Christ and the church. It points to the gospel. Why are your sins forgiven? Because you are one with Christ. Why are you seated in the heavenlies right now? Because you are one with Christ. Why are you guaranteed the resurrection of the dead? Because you are one with Christ. Why has your penalty been paid? Because you are one with Christ. Paul points back to Genesis chapter 2 in the one flesh union, and he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. It ultimately points to him. The joy, the ecstasy, the oneness, the relational intimacy, the procreation, all of that that is bound up in our sexual acts ultimately points to the glory of Christ. And so this reminds us uh, again that sex is a private act between two individuals, but it is not a shameful act. This is why things like pornography are shameful because you're taking something that is private and putting it out there. And you're also taking sinful deeds and you're putting it out in public for other people to view. But what happens between a husband and his wife in a faithful covenant marriage is not shameful, not even a little bit, but rather it is ripe with intimacy and the potential for new life and it's ripe with pleasure and in all of this it points to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the end of the universe that we are heading to, the glories of the new creation. And so sex is important and doing it rightly according to the standards of God is important. We read this in the book of Hebrews. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral, and the adulterous. The marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. It is to be kept holy. And this indeed means that the marriage bed can be holy. And in this, we reflect the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God has created sex for our good, in procreation, intimacy, and pleasure. And in it, we see a glimpse of the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sex is important. The church must talk about it, and we must model something entirely different than how our age functions today. We're going to keep unpacking uh, the Christian view of sex here. I encourage you to like, comment, and share as we apply the Christian worldview to all of life, one minute at a time.